All right, so I have a very special surprise for everyone. Um, I present to you my father and the founder of Good Nature, Dale Wetlofer. <laughs> everybody. Here, that mic. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I was hoping you could just uh, tell the founding story of Good Nature, the 99 letters one, just to the best of your recollection, and we can okay. go from there. All right, so... Um, when I graduated out of engineering school I, in 1971, I immediately went to work for a, um, a defense company, Moog, they're called, and they make aerospace controls for rockets and airplanes and so on. And um, I, that was 1971, and by about 1973, I was getting kind of disappointed with working for them. I mean, I remember one meeting where I went into my boss's boss's office. A lot of those guys were military types and he had a crew cut and I said, I got this great idea for saving the company a lot of money. And he said, what is it? And I said, you put a timer on the table during our meetings and then you feed in everybody's salary, and then it keeps track of how much the meeting is costing the company. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, I don't think so. And I said, why? And he walked over to me, he was taller than I was, and he kind of looked down and he said, because I'm the smartest man in the room and I say so. And I thought, oh, I don't want to ever give you any more ideas. <clears throat> and I don't really want to work there anymore. So that's when I, when I started, the seeds were planted for my starting my own company somehow. And so um, I had this, am I going on too long? No. No. So I had this crazy friend uh, from high school named Brian who was the world's best salesman. And he convinced me that the thing we really needed to do was open a company that makes cider presses because he had just moved on to a farm down in the southern, in the, in the southern part of New York State in the Hudson Valley, and they had a whole bunch of apple trees on their property that that the apples just fell on the ground. And um, he said, I looked in the whole earth catalog, which was this thing back then for, for like hippies and organic like <laughs> people. And, um, and there isn't any for sale. So we need to do it. So could you please invent that? And, and then I'll be the salesman. And for some reason he got me just at the right point where I thought, ah, sure. And so I, I worked on something with a hydraulic press, a jack. And, um, and I built one for him and sent it down, and he, he really liked it. So he said, let's start a company and just make these things. He said, you could take care of the design and the manufacturing and all the rest of that stuff, and I'll just sell them. 
He was a textbook salesman for college, and I would say he was a textbook salesman, actually. But anyway, um, so the money. He didn't have any money. Hmm. So I think I had about five or $6,000 in the bank. And oh. I said, let's take this money and spend it on an ad someplace. And at that time, the the I guess we selected Organic Gardening Magazine. So we placed an ad in Organic Gardening Magazine. And... And if you sent a dollar, we would send you our brochure. And we made the agreement ahead of time that if we got $100 in the mail, we would go ahead with this project. And if we didn't, we would just drop it. And um, we got 99. We've waited and still 99, you know. And then we figured, well, probably a couple got lost in the mail, right? Because things always get lost in the mail. So that's how tenuous the beginning of Good Nature Products was. But um, anyway, that's how that happened. Wow. What a great story. That's a good story. Yeah. I love that. There's um, more details every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Keep them up. No. Um, do you guys have any questions for Dale about? Like anything about the founding of the company or? Well, I, you know, when I was in Buffalo, Charlie, and um, I think you and I were talking and, and you told me about how, you know, really the company started with cider and then this new wave of green juice came on and, um, and, and how you were really in tune with that and started um, really talking to your dad about that. And that's really where kind of the transformation took place, I would say. I don't know, just from outside looking in of phase two of this company, right? Of like Good right. Nature 2.0, I guess. And so I would just like to ask him like, you know, how he how he received that idea of like going from just ciders to this whole industry of of juice bars. And um, is it even believable anymore for him or has he like, because it's so far from from what he was doing, right? But yeah. just just would like to know like his idea of one of how he first took that I that that suggestion from you and two and how, what his thoughts are on it now as an industry? Well, I had a vision and that's just totally a lie. I had no vision whatsoever of the <laughs> green juice industry. I didn't I will say everyone's, everyone's always like, you know, talking about dad and he had this vision way before the whole juice industry took off. And <clears throat> yeah, it wasn't really like that. We just kind of, when the uh, when the juice industry did start taking off, with companies like you know Organic Avenue and Juice Served Here and Blueprint Clients and everything, we were literally the only company that had the right size machine that could make commercial quantities of real cold pressed juice because of what you know Dad yeah. invented for the cider industry. Yeah. So how that happened is, um, um, of course, not according to plan. And in fact, I'm known still to this day as the guy without a plan. And I, I feel like, like um, I just kind of followed my feelings. And I, I don't know why, but I always liked the concept of making juice out of apples and stuff. You know, it just, I don't know why it appeals to me. So um, 
we got into this deal with some guy from California when we were making big cider presses, and he had this he had this idea that he would set up what looked like a little apple juice. I don't know. To me, it looked like an outhouse in the middle of like a kiosk, right? Yeah, like a roadside sort of stand thing or yeah. something inside a Vaughn supermarket chain. And I guess he convinced him of this, and all he had to do was have a machine that would go inside of this kiosk and uh, and a nice-looking girl outside the kiosk to say, hey, try our apple cider made here in the store. This is before there was a machine to do that. And um, I don't know how I ended up committing to it, but this guy said... Um, can you do that? Because we'll sell a million. And I said, sure I can. And then I didn't hear from him for a long time. And then I did. And he sent the money to build one. And I thought, oh God, no, I don't want to do this anymore. And then he threatened to sue me if I wouldn't follow through on this agreement that I apparently made to do this. And so I just, I got stuck in this situation where I had to do it or hire a lawyer. So I just sat down and sketched out what's essentially the X1. And I didn't really spend a lot of time on it. I just thought, I just got to make something that has to work, somehow work a little bit. And then I'm out of this obligation. So, so we put a grinder on top of a of a bag, which was the concept from our original squeeze boxes, the bags. And then we put that on a stand and that would fit inside of their their kiosk. And and that's how that was done. So the main one I was forced to do. I'll share um when I edit this video I'll put up some pictures of the original X ones. They're very different looking but but yeah so then when the Juice cleanses started getting popular. That machine was the only cold press you could. But there's like the Norwalk juicer, which could make like, too small. yeah, too small. Or there's these giant cider presses. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing where someone could make a few hundred yeah. bottles instead of thousands or just yeah. a couple. So let me tell that story. So this was about, I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say 2012 maybe, um, and our sales guy, Pete at the time, said, I'm getting, I'm getting all these requests for some kind of a green juice press. Do we have a green juice press? And I, I said, well, I suppose that thing that I made, what we call it the test press, the X1, original, would work for green juice. And he said, okay. So we, we made up a brochure and started, you know, sending that to people. And they were, like, excited, in fact, to the point where we all got worried because we didn't have the big staff or anything. And uh, Pete was spending all his time with these little presses and not selling any big ones. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, what do we do now? And, and our production guy, Rick, was saying, we, you know, we need to get Pete out of this small press thing. And so we almost decided not to do it at all. But fortunately, 
for Eric, for me, there was Eric and Charlie saying, no, we'll help. We'll do it. So that's, that's kind of how that started. We're like dead. This logic, this small press is too popular. So we need to stop selling it. Like it doesn't make any sense. And then, uh, so by the way, that was, uh, that was 25 years after they built the first X one. That was because the first X one was 1992. And then that whole green juice thing didn't start happening until um, much later, 2013, 2014. So then that's when I started, back then I was just graduating college in uh, Las Vegas. That's when I said, look, I'll set up a business out here that just serves the small uh, juice bars and the green juice companies and stuff. And that's how that was started. And then it, it went really well. You know, I made a website with a blog and the e-commerce store that were easier to do business with and we had more support. And then eventually we just consolidated everything back down into Buffalo. Yeah. We had probably sold of those X one type presses up until then, maybe one a year to some big company that wanted to use it as a test press. That's what we call it. Test press. So fortunately, Charlie was willing to do that out, out in Nevada, and we said, okay, if you'll take care of all that stuff, then we can build them here and just ship them out to you, and that's how that all forced itself upon us. But there was that one uh, period for maybe a couple of years before that where Paige, my sister, was, <clears throat> she she became like the X1 salesperson because yeah. they didn't want Pete focusing on the small machine stuff, and then... I remember there was, um, we didn't have the required certifications to ship internationally or what they would need to import it to Europe. And at the time, I mean, this is when all these companies are getting written about in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times about how successful these juice companies are. And so all these people were contacting us from all over the world to buy the X1. And she kept telling them, no, you can't because we don't have CE certification. And so she kept a list of like all these people from Europe and Australia and stuff. And then the day where we actually got the CE mark, we let them know, I think that day we sold like 45 X ones or something. Oh. It was insane. Oh <laughs> and then I think there was, you know, a brief moment in time where we're selling so many of those things. It was crazy. But then, but then as we'll talk about later on the podcast, um, you know, Juice Served Here, they just announced they're coming back. But but then companies like Organic Avenue, Juice Served Here, all these companies started going out of business and everybody realized they were just running on like investor cash. And then the whole market kind of crashed. There was like a peak peak juice period of 2014 to 20, yeah. 2015. To 2016, it just totally dropped. Um, but anyway... But that's yeah, crazy so, that all that time you had the X1 there. Yeah. That's Sitting just there so, doing nothing. so funny that it was just yeah. there all along. Just he, he almost let some third-party dealer take total oh, control yeah. of it. This guy that was like, <laughs> no, it was. I might beep that out in the podcast, but he, he was like, <laughs> he was like selling uh, other types of juice machines and then. Uh, they allowed him to be a dealer for the X1, not exclusively, but 
And then he came to Buffalo to try to convince my dad to give him exclusive to it. And he almost said, okay, which was right before it became like most popular juice press in the world for a short amount of time. But <laughs> it's pretty crazy. So, uh, although I will say almost, this but... for, for good nature products is that one thing that we would never do and still to this day, we won't do it is make something that doesn't make good juice, you know, even though it would be cheaper and that's what they want. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't really make juice, you know, it makes something like juice. So you could do that in a, you know, a Vitamix or something. But uh, anyway, there was also a way back, we had a Good Nature Products rep in California selling the big presses who kept asking us, can you get NSF approval on your on your X1, and we kept saying, I don't know, maybe, no, I don't know. And then we found out that they, out in California, found a manufacturer to start making it with NSF. This is our own dealer and mm. selling it, but fortunately we got a call someday from someone saying, I need parts for this uh, X1, and we thought, we've never sold you an X1. Anyway, you got to be wow. careful. There's both dealers we were using yeah. back then both knocked off the X1 and started selling their own. Um, and like, wow. So we're literally giving them leads and then they started building their own uh, and selling that instead. It was, it was a pretty brutal time back yeah. then. Cutthroat juice industry. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's kind of the story. And I couldn't wait for Charlie and Eric and his sister to, step in and let me get out of the out of the role of businessman and back into the role of inventor which is what i do now what i really like to do so i was grateful but, for them. but kudos to you because really you know i think a lot of people when yeah. they're starting their own business and they're inventors or entrepreneurs they're so in love with their idea and exactly. the purpose of their idea that, that they're unable and unwilling to even see how they can pivot when the scenario yeah. starts to change. So it's almost a blessing that, you know, as you say, you're the yeah. guy with no plan, that you had no plan. Because if you had been so hell-bent on it being just an apple sure. press or a cider press, you would have never, you know, been open to listening to Charlie and Eric and, and figuring out how the industry was changing and really being created because that, you know, the whole green juice movement really didn't exist. Right. I mean, we grew yeah. up drinking apple juice and orange juice, so nobody grew up like juicing kale. Yeah. So, um, you know, thank God that you weren't so in love with your own idea that, that you were unwilling to, to yeah. listen because if not, I mean, where would good nature be today? And yeah. where would all of us be? <laughs> You're a very perceptive person. He's pretty oh, smart. Well. Yeah. Yeah. That's very well, I'm true. Glad, I'm glad that you pivoted. Yeah. <laughs> Because what you have to do in life, I think, is at some point realize your limitations, you know? Mm. And I feel like I had made so many bad business decisions that I didn't have any confidence in my ability to do this one either. And um, fortunately, it's a really good division between Charlie and Eric because, I don't know, they balance each other. Charlie's the, you know, risk taker going to new, new heights and Eric's the, yeah, but we've got to get this production nailed down. You know what I mean? So it was a good, 
they didn't overlap very much, which is good. Yeah, we like Eric and I both enjoy different parts of the work. Like I like the marketing and sales and web development and all that stuff. And Eric really um, takes more to the engineering and product development and operation stuff. So it kind of works out. Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. Like the the family aspect of the business, you know, it's really impressive because not a lot of families will be able to do that for sure. I I get the feeling that. <laughs> People perceive us as a big, large company, mm. but we're yeah. honestly not. We're a very small company. It's me and my brother, my dad, and my sister. And then depending on how the juice market's going between 20 and 30 employees, you know, it's not, we're not some big company. We're um, probably about the size of a juice bar that has like three or four locations, you know. Yeah. Seriously, though. I mean, but, I would, but I would say like having visited the, the, the office and the plant now, it's an impressive operation. I mean, it, you know, you walk into obviously where the sales office is and, and that's yeah. a beautiful space and very modern and, and up yeah. to date. And then you, you, you know, Charlie and, and Eric took me through the back and I was just very organized, like, you know, running through my, through my head. I'm like, Oh, so that, yeah, that that's, that's Eric. That's, that's my X brother. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's, that's where that little yeah. nut came from. Right. And it was like labeled and everything was very organized yeah. and it was like a true manufacturing plant, yeah. which you know, as, as a consumer, that's what you want, right? Is that mm -hmm. there's not so many people in the middle that you can't figure out where the hell your shipment is yep. or why your, you know, nut bags haven't arrived, but, but it's yep. very well organized back there, very yeah. friendly. And, yep. and I think from, from the, you know, me being a person that actually owns a juice bar and owns an X one and, and orders nut bags every, you know, whenever, um, it's the timeliness and the customer, you know, customer service that you get from the customer side is very impressive being that it's a, you know, a smaller operation because when you're a small operation like that, something's got to give, right? Either it's the, yeah. the strategy to not be able to pivot or it's the customer satisfaction part, or it's the delivery of the product or something. And really, um, not that this is really a commercial for good nature, but really I've been so impressed with every aspect of the business and, um, you know, when you were talking about Charlie, the different difference between you and Eric, I was thinking, you know, it's sort of like the difference between front of the house and back of the house in the kitchen, right? I mean, there yeah. are people who it's like for me, I get so bored in the back of the house and I'm like, okay, so if I, even if I create a new recipe at like five minutes later, I'm like, just give me a sticker and let me slap it on here and let me go and sample it out because I just want to be with the people. Yeah. So and you have your chef that likes that stuff. Is the reverse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And, um, and so you've got you, Charlie, that's very customer facing and likes the marketing and the branding component and like pushing the edge and seeing what's trending. And then Eric, more like the back of the house, you mm -hmm. know, like, let's get this in order. Let's make sure this is, you know, margins are where they're supposed to be. So it's very impressive. And one thing interesting about our business, um, we're completely vertical, meaning everything from inventing the products, filing the patents, building the machines. That's usually maybe one business. And then there's a different business that handles the dealing, the selling the machines, right? And the marketing and everything and service. But we do it all. We do the, from designing, building, manufacturing, shipping, marketing. So we're kind of at least two, even maybe three businesses in one, which and and yeah. when I first started the company, I was literally 
living in a house in the woods with uh, hmm. with no electricity because I when I left my aerospace job, I decided I was going to have to do this with my own money, which I didn't have very much of. And um, hmm. I felt like, uh, you know, my dream, believe it or not, at that point, I had this dream, you can still see it, of me having a little business in my backyard and my kids get to see what their dad does for a living and I get to see my kids. That was kind of my, that was it. That was the plan. And it kind of happened. It just got bigger than my original thought. Still, that's (laughs) the way I see it. Luckily, now you have electricity. Yeah. Yeah, really. (laughs) That house burned down, by the way. (laughs) And, um, and so I was forced to, to, uh, move myself and my business. In fact, I w- can I tell one funny story? One of the first, one of, of the first ideas that I got for a press back when I, when I thought that the best way to press would be something continuous. That's the dream of everyone, you know, a belt press, an auger, a screw press, something like continuous. And I got this idea that if I could just grind up some apples and squeeze them through some kind of a tapered sock that was kind of elastic, that the juice would run out through the sock and then finally the cake would come out the end, you know, kind of like, you know, when humans excrete. Anyway, so I'm in the local drugstore, Thomas's drugstore, and I asked the woman, can I see what what are the strongest pantyhose that you have? Strongest? Yeah, I said the most support. And she said, I guess those up there. And I said, can I feel them? And she said, what? And I said, can I open and feel <laughs> them? And she said, just a minute. And she went and got the manager. And he came out and said, all right, what do you want to do? And I, and I explained to him that I'm trying to come up with a better apple juice press, which he thought I was just making the story up, I think. And I said, and I just want to see if those would be, like, strong enough. And he said, if you buy them, you can have them. But basically, the next time I went back in that store, everybody looked at me like I was some kind of a pervert or something. You know? and, I, <laughs> and I did buy them, and I took them back to my house in the woods, and I had one of those old laundry rollers. You mean, you know, the one you turn and, is, and the clothes go between it to dry? The, I don't know. You guys are too young to even know what laundry rollers are. But I was standing in kind of a bathtub, which was my lab, I guess, and squeezing as of pulling the pantyhose through, and uh, it kind of worked. And uh, I thought, wow. I've just started inventing, and I already have a better machine. And then that turned out there was so much solids in the juice that you couldn't even drink it. It wouldn't even come out through a spigot. So that's when I first started learning that maybe the old-fashioned way of just squeezing a layer of ground-up stuff gently in the beginning makes the best juice, which, of course, history was telling us after about a 1,000 years of making olive oil and all. So anyway, made a short story long, but that's how I got Fascinating. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. 
for that. Am I done? Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Dale. Bye.